So I was just feeling really down about um, humanity and people being good people and caring for others and having just a general sense of wanting to be a good citizen and all that kind of morality stuff and then I just remembered that this woman who lives in one of the Kayambe houses who is mute, she gave me four four little mangoes <laughs> before I left and you know, she has absolutely nothing and she still found a way to be generous really amazing Hi folks, I'm Tilden Reamer-Leach, and you're listening to Forces That Move Us, Lost Homes and Solutions Amidst the Chaos. saque rápido de aquí si alguien está escuchando este mensaje que por favor ayuden get us out of here quickly if someone is listening to this message please help us with that donation for a bamboo house so we can get out of here quickly because it is impossible to sleep here do you remember Jacinta's story from episode 2 Jacinta was living in an abandoned school classroom with her eight children for three years after the earthquake with nowhere to go no job, and no end in sight. People like you heard Jacinta and decided to do something about it. Before I met Cristina La Torre and Manuel Payares, I couldn't fathom that big dreams, dreams to change the lives of thousands of people, could actually start out as a conversation in someone's living room. That the sustainable solutions to global displacement that people always talk about could actually come from ordinary people, not huge NGOs and government agencies. And why don't you start by telling me where you were, what you were doing when the earthquake hit? Okay, well, that was very interesting. This is a story that I must tell because I <clears throat> believe in magic and I believe in uh, uh, the synchronicity in life. On April 16th, 2016, Cristina Latore, an American, with Ecuadorian and Colombian parents, who now lives in Ecuador, had just gotten back to her home after attending a workshop on how to make a leather-bound drum. She was just setting her drum on a table to dry when... And in that moment, the earthquake uh, hit, and I was so in another dimension, I couldn't feel it. And my husband, Manuel, was screaming at me, Christina, come, it's an earthquake, get under the door frame. Uh, and I hadn't been listening because I was so into the workshop and my drum and this. But I think he yelled so strong, like for the third time that I realized, and that's the moment that I felt the home just like shaking, like it was actually like a boat sailing and impressive. We, we couldn't stand up. We really thought the epicenter was like a block away from us. It was tremendous. Chris and Manuel thought that the epicenter of the earthquake was in Quito, where they live, 
since they felt the tremors so strongly. After a few tense hours of no communication from the government, they finally learned that the epicenter was at Ecuador's northwestern coast, very close to a hotel they own and run. So uh, that minute we said, you know, what do we do? How can we help? Christina's husband, Manuel, had a family-owned bamboo plantation on the countryside that they didn't particularly use or cultivate. It was more like a quiet place to go and escape city life for the day. Manuel and Chris decided to cut down and send giant bamboo shoots from their farm to the coast, where there were thousands of people living on the streets without shelter. They figured that people could use the sturdy bamboo to prop up pieces of plastic and create makeshift shelters. But then two days later, we saw the news and all the improvised shelters that were built uh, just fell with the first rain. We, we understood that the people have no idea how to construct and they were so emotionally torn to pieces that that was not an option. We had to physically go to the place and help them out. Sábado siguiente al terremoto, ocho días después, hicimos el taller, ya teníamos el bambú listo, el plástico listo, hicimos a carpintería. The next Saturday, after the earthquake, eight days after the destruction, we hosted the workshop. We brought carpenters, we brought people who worked with bamboo, we brought people who work in the transportation industry, engineers, architects, and in one day we built a house. Quedamos muy contentos con el primer modelo. Segundo día hicimos otro, que mejoramos un poco el primero y dijimos ya, este es. It became our first model, and we were actually pretty content with it. During the second day of the workshop, we created our second house model, where we made a few adjustments here and there, and we said, this is it. By Sunday, we already had the bamboo cut and went to the coast to start building our first house. We drew the architectural drawings after making the house, not the other way around. We didn't spend months drawing up designs, we just built it. Christina calls us a do-tank. We just did it and didn't look back. <laughs> I love that idea. Not a think tank, but a do-tank. Just one week after the earthquake, they made their first house out of bamboo. And just two days after that, they had a whole factory set up at their bamboo farm and started to crank out 20 basic shelters per week. All of this has been a consequence of the earthquake. Before the earthquake, none of us worked in this field. So it was a non-stop work until this day. We're in, what, January 2019, and we hadn't, haven't stopped in, like, since April 2016. To this day, Manuel and Chris, with the help of thousands of donations from Ecuadorians and international people, have been able to build 611 bamboo houses and shelters, and 27 classrooms, eight child centers, and five community centers, all across Ecuador. They created a nonprofit called Roots Foundation, or in Spanish, Fundación Raíz, and I'll make sure to put a link for their organization on my website. And their foundation has expanded to include three different programs, Number one, support for an indigenous community in the Amazon jungle. 
Number two, a youth basketball program to help keep youth away from drugs. And three, Kayemba, the house building initiative that started it all. And they're still building new houses every day. And again, they did all this with no prior experience in this industry. Just kind of blows my mind. Manuel and Chris were the ones who finally got Jacinta and her eight kids out of the abandoned schoolhouse and into a safe Kayamba house in the countryside. If they hadn't stepped in, I honestly think Jacinta would still be living in those terrible conditions. Yeah, yeah, está grabando. Buenos días. Buenos días, soy Marley. Yo tengo cinco años. Quiero tener una casita. As my time in Ecuador went on, my life became increasingly intertwined with the work of Cayamba. You see, before I even arrived in Ecuador, I realized I needed a way to actually meet and gain the trust of people who have lost their homes due to environmental factors in Ecuador. I heard about Cayamba through a friend, and after a few Skype interviews, Manuel and Chris decided they would let me come volunteer on the coast for them, interviewing people who had just received new Cayamba houses. But by the middle of the year, I somehow found myself in charge of a whole construction team, <laughs> building 20-plus houses in a week and vetting new people who might receive one of these homes. My life on the coast was one of extremes, moving from magical moments on sandy beaches with crystal-clear blue water to the harsh realities of life for the very poor moving back and forth between these spaces on a daily basis. Manuel and Chris put a lot of trust in me. I remember the first day I arrived in Ecuador, I just showed up on their doorstep. I remember being so worried <laughs> that I wouldn't recognize them because I had only met them via Skype. But they really changed my perspective of what my potential could be. That I too could really do something and make a difference in other people's lives. But the work itself was complex. There were so many competing factors. The government's corrupt interests, people lying straight to my face. How I showed up in spaces as a white Western woman Receiving one of these houses was like winning the lottery, and I somehow became part of deciding who would receive a house and who would be left out of the equation. Now, before I get into all of that, there's one key question we haven't answered, which is, why bamboo? Hemos utilizado el bambú porque, bueno, lo que teníamos, en mi hacienda había bambú, pero el bambú tiene varias cosas importantes. Una we used bamboo because, well, first of all, it's what we had on the farm. But really, it goes so much more beyond that. Bamboo is a sustainable resource. Bamboo is a material that doesn't require a lot of processing. All you have to do is cut the stalk. 
From there you can easily turn stalks into walls by chopping the sticks lengthwise. Bamboo is very resilient, it's very light, it's very cheap, it's renewable. That is, we're not knocking down whole forests or destroying habitats. The bamboo grows back quickly, it absorbs carbon, and it's a material the people on the coast of Ecuador are used to. That is, people have seen it all their lives. Now, bamboo has historically always been associated with poverty because the houses of the very poor in Ecuador are often bamboo. But what we've done is standardize the, and improve the quality of our houses so that even if they're cheap houses, they're houses that look beautiful, that look well finished. So we have actually begun to change the culture around bamboo as a material. Oh, and the most important thing about bamboo houses is they are anti-seismic. So when the next earthquake hits, all of Kayamba's houses will bend and sway with the tremors, rather than breaking and crumbling to the ground like so many cement houses. Despite Manuel and Chris's lack of prior experience in the house building industry, they were also very thoughtful and intentional about the houses they designed. A Kayamba house can be built in one day, and it only costs $2,800 for their standard model. Compare that to the government houses that were being built for people after the earthquake, which have a cost of approximately, get this, $10,000. They designed the walls of the homes to fit precisely in Ecuadorian standard truck beds so that they could prefabricate all of the house parts and just deliver them to the site to be assembled. They expanded and created different house models, one with stilts for flood-prone areas and another with thermal insulation for colder climates. And the most important aspect of the whole operation is that Kayamba brings together the people who donated money to build the houses and the people who receive them. So we would have day-long mingas where foreigners or well-off families from Quito could volunteer their time building a house alongside the families receiving it, fostering connections across different realities. And Manuel and Chris's vision goes way beyond just building a house. They're also taking into consideration the social dynamics of home ownership and the inequality of power between genders. The, the situation with a woman and why they're empowered is because they're moms and we women, we have intuition, we have this, how do you say Instinto de conservación. Instinct of, of conservation, because we have to be alive to take care of our kids, to take care of our husbands, to take care of our home. So the majority leaders are women. They're like more, I don't know, um, warriors, <laughs> I would say. Chris decided that each Kayamba house should be given to the woman of the family. This is a pretty revolutionary thing in Ecuador where men are often the ones who own property and house titles, but are also the ones who more often leave families or have second wives. 
every woman that we give a home, it's just we receive the love of human race. <laughs> Their eyes sparkle and uh, they are transformed. I mean, their, their lives change. It's, it, I, I think that this is all a rebirth. And my life had a rebirth after the earthquake too. There are many women that we've helped. One, for instance, has 12 kids and her husband works in the street selling whatever, uh, watches or things for the car and accessories. This woman is now living with her, her 12 children. Now she has a number 13. Uh, <laughs> and she couldn't believe it because she had been living for like two years in, in, a, in, a, sh like in a shelter and um, one day we just arrived and she couldn't believe that from nowhere she, she has a house now. Siempre pensamos que las personas que tenemos, hemos nacido con unas ventajas, ¿no es cierto? Que tenemos la educación, la cultura o los medios económicos. It's true that many of us have many advantages in life. We have education, culture, or economic means. It is important that we share this with those who do not, because many times we were born having something and other people are born without having anything. If we know how to make a well or make an electrical installation or draw a house or improve a production system to lower the cost of a house, it's part of our duty as a society to use those skills to make this world a little bit better because we want our children to live in a better, more equitable, less violent world. So part of our life is dedicated to that. As the months passed by and my volunteer work with Kayamba deepened, just walking down the sandy coastal streets filled me with questions about justice and compassion, power and money, and the randomness of where we are born and how much that determines who we become. I could feel myself changing. For one, my Spanish was getting better. <laughs> but also, as I asked people about their lives, how they lost their home, their current job status. I learned how to really listen. I would look into their eyes and see suffering. It's that suffering that reminds us that we are all human. I realized that for some people, they needed to give me their stories for their own healing. There was somehow a power, a power in bearing witness and of transferring pain 
through storytelling. By listening and acknowledging the truths of countless single mothers, I had the honor of playing just a minuscule part in their healing. There were also incredibly challenging moments. So I was just feeling really down about um, humanity and people being good people and caring for others. Moments where people lied straight to my face, saying that they didn't have a house in the next town over so that they could be put on a list to be considered for one of Kayamba's houses. I witnessed moments of selfishness that I didn't think were possible. I found myself asking myself routinely, is corruption a cause of poverty or poverty a cause of corruption? Is it both? I became increasingly grounded in the recognition that there is both the potential for good and evil in each one of us. I wanted to share with you guys another situation I experienced. I recorded the following audio while I was living in Ecuador. Hi guys, so today I had an experience that really made me step back and say, whoa, <laughs> it forced me to really take a hard look at how I show up in different spaces here in Ecuador and how being a white Western woman really does change how people perceive and relate to me. Okay, let's see if I can explain this. So I, I already knew that being here in Ecuador as a Westerner would give me an innate power and authority when working with Ecuadorians. But I really had no concept of to what extent, really. So as you guys know, um, I've been volunteering for Kayamba as their on the ground coordinator for the construction of bamboo houses. This job is really tough. I'm literally walking down the roughest streets of Ecuador where drugs, violence, and petty theft are just simply routine. Part of my work is to go door to door finding people living in bad conditions. So that's people who are still in refugee tents or living under plastic or scrap metal. I learn their stories and help them get a new Kayamba house. But of course, the hard part is we can't help everyone. And there's a lot of politics around who qualifies and who doesn't. The nonprofit has decided to prioritize single mothers, people with illnesses and disabilities, large families, and the elderly. So today, I found myself caught in the middle of a disagreement between two families over who deserved to receive a house from us. So a year ago, we had built a neighborhood of 20 houses. And over the last couple months, I had noticed that there was one house that didn't seem to have anyone living in it. I walked around the neighborhood and kind of went around asking different residents what had happened to the family, you know. Were they still using the house? Um, where did they move somewhere? What was going on? And I received confirmation from many different neighbors that the family actually hadn't lived there for many months and that they were building a brick house farther down the coast with family money. 
So, the solution seemed pretty simple. Give this donated house to a family that really needed it. And it just so happened that yesterday, I met a single mother with two kids under the age of three who was living in a dilapidated building. So I consulted with the directors of my nonprofit and the president of the neighborhood. And within a day or so, we had the mother and the two children living in that new house that had been abandoned. I thought to myself, biggity baggity boom, Tilden's done it again. <laughs> I was pretty proud of myself, actually. That was until this morning I was woken up at 6.30 a.m. to a frantic call from that single mother who was crying hysterically, saying that the original family had come back and they were really angry and they basically had banged on her door at four in the morning and started throwing her mattress and clothing and everything out of the house and onto the street. And they were trying to forcibly remove her from her house. Hearing all of this, I was getting pretty frantic and I slipped on my work shirt as fast as possible and just ran out the door. I told the single mother to wait and that I was coming and that nothing bad would happen. Was terrible just sort of waiting chugging along on the bus moving so slowly and knowing that there was so much going on so much arguing so much uncertainty just a few towns over it turns out <laughs> I found out when I got there that all the local authorities were waiting for me there was the president of the neighborhood the local municipality head with 10 security guards dressed in blue and me as the representative of the NGO. Now I am a recent college graduate researcher and I couldn't help but ask myself when in this process did I turn into the local representative of the NGO but it makes total sense because that's what that's what people perceived me to be and that's therefore what I was and it was really strange to be in a position where the three of us would be the ones to decide the fate of the individuals in that community i felt i wouldn't say exactly paralyzed but just conflicted unable to be of any true use in the moment with my not-so-perfect Spanish in a room of 20 people from the neighborhood arguing and yelling all at once. Shouting over one another, trying to tell their points about who who to trust, who was 
who was right, who should be listened to, who should be heard. Here I was being asked to weigh in on who gets to live in a house and who doesn't. And in other situations, I would have loved to have been taken seriously and seen as legitimate like I was in that moment. But this situation was more complicated because having a house of your own can make a world of difference for the people of Ecuador who are living in abject poverty. A world of difference. And who am I to decide who deserves a house or not? As the months went by, I became more adept at discerning fact from friction. I tried to focus my volunteer work on creating better vetting systems to ensure that we were benefiting the people who needed our help the most. I tried to focus more on mediating existing conflicts rather than creating new ones. But I never seemed to be able to shake off the weight of what having a house really meant for these communities. Sometimes it meant independence, or it meant safety, being able to get away from an abusive husband, or it meant being able to spend rent money on food for the family. No matter the case, it was always hard knowing that there were so many people we had to turn away. This woman who lives in one of the Kayambe houses who is mute, she gave me four four little mangoes <laughs> before I left and you know she has absolutely nothing and she still found a way to be generous. Really amazing. There was always a rawness and a beauty present. It brought people's emotions good and bad right to the surface and I loved the feeling loved being in this place where the best and worst of everything seemed to coexist and I was a part of it all in a way I created my own do tank I jumped in and just started doing making mistakes and learning and growing along the way I learned to laugh at myself to share in the small successes, and to listen to my heart and not just my head. I had found my power. There was an aliveness of living fully in every moment. work is done, after giving homes to many families who lost their homes and previous lives in the earthquake, Manuel and Chris, moving ahead with Roots Foundation and Kayamba, decided to expand their vision to also donate houses to Ecuadorians living in situations of extreme poverty. We decided that Kayamba and Fundación Raíz has to help not only those victims of the earthquake, which was some time ago more than help the people, the most vulnerable and poor people of our country. People that just can't 
live with whatever they make it, that could be like $50 a month. It's impossible for them to think about building a home or putting walls to whatever they're living under because they need that money to feed the kids. So uh, we are helping any person that we see can't do it on their own. And this is also something very important because we live together. We are all from the same country, especially in the coast. We use their beaches. We use their sun, their sand, their beautiful weather. And I think we owe them the service that they have given us for us to have the most beautiful vacation on the coast. We need to pay them back. We need to help them because we all live in communion and we have to be um, aware of making the coastal towns a better place for everyone to live in. And this also helps the, the young get away from drugs, alcohol, vandalism. So if we don't work from the base, which in this case is a home, I don't think that they can actually see a light in life. Uh, they just go into the dark because that's that's what helps them go on in life. So that's basically a message. <laughs> and Manuel has much bigger and broader plans for Kayamba. <laughs> So if there's a big earthquake in Ecuador, one that, that is even bigger than the 2016 earthquake, and this is very probable, in fact it will happen. Many people say, oh, we shouldn't think like that, but it will happen, it's nature. In a place like Ecuador, there are earthquakes, big earthquakes. It's only a question of time. So this is a country that should be very prepared. And it's a country that should permanently maintain a team of disaster response professionals, people who know how to reconstruct, who know the best anti-seismic structures, who know where to find the best materials, and so forth. Manuel is currently preparing Kayamba to become the country's premier disaster preparedness organization. He recently established a much larger house production factory to be able to train new builders in bamboo construction, creating a team that could be deployed at a moment's notice. And he's begun to stockpile enough prefabricated walls and roofs that if another earthquake strikes tomorrow, they can be the first ones on the ground rebuilding. about the many people around the world who are displaced by natural disasters. I wonder, you know, how can we inspire them to start their own form of a do tank? To take the resources they have, add imagination, and solve problems themselves. Because one thing that was clear to me in volunteering with Fundacion Raiz and Cayamba was that the people who received houses didn't want to be taken care of. They just wanted to be given a chance to fulfill their own potential.
If you would like more information and photos from the stories on this podcast, please go to www.forcesthatmoveus.com. If you would like to listen to a Spanish version of this podcast, please search Lo Que Nos Mueve on iTunes or by going to our website. In the Spanish podcast, we cover the same themes, but sometimes the content is different. I'll also post a link in the show notes. Thank you to the National Geographic Society for supporting the production of this podcast. And thank you to Alex Alviar for the lovely intro music. You can find the full album by searching Equatorial on Spotify. Other music in this podcast includes Dreaming Days by Ketza, Gone by Audio Binger, Something Elated by Broke for Free, Trophy Wife by Rondo Brothers, White Hats by Wayne Jones, Inescapable by Ugonia Onyekwe, and Otras Formas by Sir Manique.